This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Are you enjoying GYC? It's good to be here. Um, we actually live here in Kentucky now. Uh, we're about an hour south of here near Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Um, actually, that's where our storage container is. Uh, and you'll know a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes as I share our story. But um, just to give you a little bit of background, I used to be a pastor in the Michigan Conference. My name is Jason Sliger, as you already know from the uh, program. And I uh, pastored in the Michigan Conference for about seven years. Prior to that, I was with Amazing Facts, uh, doing seminars with them, Bible prophecy seminars, doing evangelism. Uh, and now we're in another transition in our life, heading off into the mission field. How many of you are familiar with Adventist Frontier Missions? Okay, if you haven't uh, gone by their booth, you need to do that. Um, it's one of the first booths that you see when you walk in through the side door there and um, sign up to be a missionary. Uh, you, won't, you won't regret it. And especially if you're going through college, uh, they've got a great SM program, Student Missionaries. And uh, John Baxter would be more than happy to talk to you about that program and what it all entails where you give a year of your life to form missions. All the SMs that I've talked to, um, have not regretted in the least bit giving one year of their life um, and taking a year off of college to go and serve God in the mission field. Um, so if you, if you have the opportunity, go over there, check out the program, ask questions. John's a wealth of information. He served as a missionary in Thailand. You've probably heard his testimony before. If you haven't, you need to Google it and check it out. Check it out. He's got an incredible testimony of how the Lord led him uh, to the church and then into missions and the works that, work that he did over in India. So anyways, that's a little bit of my background. I've got three beautiful kids. They're not here right now. They'll probably come here in a little while. Uh, my oldest is eight. We named her Evangeline, um, and we named her that because we were doing evangelism at the time, and it's a derivative of the word evangelist, and we want her to grow up to be one who would share the gospel of Jesus everywhere she goes. Then we had our son when we moved into pastoral work, uh, we named him Christian. He is six years old, and we named him that because we want him to grow up to be a man who is like Christ. And then we just had our last child uh, four years ago, um, and she is a bundle of joy, lots of energy. Her name is Verity, and we named her that because we want her to grow up to not only be a truthful person, but to be one who also shares the truth. And if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, you now know where we got our names. <laughs> Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It's a great book. Wonderful book. I read that many times when I was a kid growing up, learned many wonderful lessons. So anyways, that's a little bit of my background. Uh, today is going to be just, I'm going to share with you stories um, that have happened in our life in the last six years as, as we've made this, or sorry, last six months as we've made this transition from pastoral work into uh, full-time missionary work. So let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer, and I invite you to bow your heads with me as we start with a prayer now. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come into your presence this afternoon. And Father, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to rest in this room, to speak to our hearts, to apply the lessons that are shared in just the right way. And Father, I pray that as we go from this place in about an hour, that we will have sensed that we were with Jesus and that we serve a God 
who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So, Father, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts through this, through this story and that we would be drawn closer to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 21 years ago, I remember the day like it was yesterday. Some of you weren't born 21 years ago, were you? That makes me feel really old. 21 years ago, I was, I remember the day like it was yesterday. I was standing in a hot, muggy country of the world. It was my first time to a third world country. I was in my senior year of high school, and um, I was standing in front of the airport getting ready to come back to the United States. And as I was standing there, I had this wealth of experience that had just happened in the two years that I was there in the Philippines, helping out with the Bible Prophecy Seminar. Uh, while I was there, I saw things that just radically shifted my worldview. I saw poverty like I had never seen it before. I saw happiness like I had never seen it before. I saw contentedness like I had never seen it before. I saw generosity like I had never seen it before. I went into homes of people where they had dirt floors and they, they wanted to give me gifts as I was leaving their house. And this just was very transformative in my life coming from a first world country. But the one thing that was seared in my mind that I will never forget was standing on the street corner night after night watching these sugarcane trucks pull up in front of the tent with people standing in the back packed in like sardines. And it was just truckload after truckload after truckload of these people. And they would get off of the truck and they would file their way into the tent and they would sit on hard bamboo benches for two hours to listen to the word of God preached. And you're thankful you have a soft, cushy chair to sit on today. And I stood there in my young 18-year-old mind. I had just given my heart to the Lord. I had just been baptized. I was fresh out of the river of my baptism. And I'm standing there watching this phenomenon happen night after night after night. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, are there that many people in the world who are hungry for the word of God? And now I'm standing, you know, two weeks later, I'm standing in the airport. I'm getting ready to come back to the United States of America. This whole experience is behind me. I'm watching people hanging on the chain link fence around the airport, watching the rich American go back to the States. And as I'm standing there in the airport, a passage of scripture just flashes into my mind. <clears throat> I remember this so clearly. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and... And I remember thinking to myself, I mean, this whole experience behind me, and I'm thinking about this Bible passage, and in my young 18-year-old mind, I remember thinking to myself, if the gospel has to go to the world before Jesus comes, then I want to take the gospel to the world, because I don't want to be in this world any longer than is necessary. And it was there in that stillness of the moment, with all the jostling of people around me, in the quietness of my thoughts, that God began to pull my heart in the direction of ministry, and now I understand one day into overseas missions. Well, in the 21 years between then and now, a lot has happened, but what I want to focus on is what has happened in the last year of my life. Well, actually, before I do that, I'm going to share with you one other thing. About eight years ago, and this is all leads up to what happened in this last year, about eight years ago, I was sitting in my living room. I've been an evangelist with Amazing Facts for seven years at this point, crisscrossing the countryside, doing Bible prophecy seminars, watching people get baptized. It was a phenomenal experience. And I'm sitting in my living room, and a good friend of mine comes over to visit me. His name is Kyle. 
And he had just made the transition from Bible work into missionary work. He was going to the country of Thailand to serve as a missionary. And uh, he sat in my living room, he was sharing with me this call of God in his life to go and serve as a missionary. And I was so excited for him. Kyle and I had worked together in Bible work, and we had just had a wonderful friendship. And now it was fun to see how God was working in his life to take him overseas. And then he opened up his laptop, and he showed me a three-minute video that rattled my cage. He showed me this video about the needs for foreign missions and how the, there, there are people in the world. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave the gospel commission, and there are still two to three billion people who have never even heard his name mentioned. Now, you say something like that to an evangelist who wants to win souls and hasten the coming of Christ, and that is very disturbing for me. And as I sat there and watched this video with all these statistics, and you can look at it on the Joshua Project or the AFM website, you can get those statistics if you want. As I sat there and watched this, my eyes began to burn with tears. And as these tears welled up in my eyes, and I thought to myself, Lord, I'm only one person. What can I do to help? There's so much need. There's so many people who are starving for a knowledge of Jesus. Well, the Lord heard that prayer, and he began to work on my heart. I grew up, like many of you, reading the great Adventist missionary stories. How many of you are familiar with Eric B. Hare? Right? Yeah. I grew up on that stuff. We read those stories over and over and over again. And that, 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 the concept of missions was kind of seared in my mind, but I didn't understand it until that moment when I was sitting in my living room with Kyle that the need is greater than I could have ever imagined. I once heard... Uh, a quote, I think his name was Oswald Smith or something like that. He said, no one deserves to hear the gospel twice when there are people in the world who haven't heard it once. Three billion, two to three billion people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Now I want you to think about that when it comes to your life goals and what you're going to do in your life. Do you want to choose to spend your time talking to people who've already heard about it or talking to people who haven't heard about it? Now, the Lord needs people who have to, to, to minister to those who have heard about it. We need missionaries all over the place. But let me just be very blunt with you here this afternoon. Christ is not going to come back until the gospel goes to the world. I heard one amen. And as long as there are two to three billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, Christ is not going to come back. He is too loving. He is too kind. He is too understanding. He won't come back to people who are unprepared. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the Vatican. It doesn't matter what's going on in the secret chambers of, uh, you know, these different buildings in the world and all these meetings of politicians and all that kind of stuff. Yes, Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. But as long as there are people who haven't heard the gospel, Christ cannot come back. And when I first started learning these concepts, I, it, it started to change my worldview and my ministry and the way that God was directing my life in my service to him. So about a year ago, my wife was reading the Adventist Frontier magazine. How many of you have seen the Adventist Frontier magazine? Frontiers magazine, it's a great magazine. You should get it and read it. My wife reads it from cover to cover every month. She loves looking at the stories of what's going on in the mission field. Great stories there. 
So she's reading through it. And, and we talked about mission work all the time. We had missionaries come to our churches to share about what's going on in their uh, part of the world. Uh, I shared mission stories from my, in my sermons oftentimes. Missions was just kind of a, a, an interest that we had. And so my wife one day, she's going through the AFM magazine, and she's reading through it, and she notices in the back of the magazine that there are the top five mission calls for five places in the world. Now, you have to understand something about me. I had kind of resolved in my mind that foreign missions, as much as I had a burden for it, I didn't feel that I was equipped for it. You know, you think about the typical missionary, they're doctors, they're nurses, they're dentists, they're teachers. You know, they have these practical trades that they can use in the mission field. And I didn't have that. I'm a preacher. And I didn't feel that that was something that could be used very well in the mission field. So I didn't feel like I was equipped for it. Now, I have since learned that that was a lie of Satan. And maybe he has a lie that he's deceiving you with to keep you from doing that type of work as well. And you need to identify that and find the truth behind it. But anyways, I had this notion, this concept in my mind. And so as my wife is looking at these top five mission calls in the AFM magazine, she notices one of them is a call for a pastor. Isn't it interesting how God works? It's a call for a pastor to northern Scotland. And so she says, hey, Jason, look at this. There's a call in the AFM magazine for a missionary pastor to northern Scotland. I said, that's very interesting. <laughs> and I didn't give it much thought after that. The next month, she's reading through the AFM magazine. And in the back of the magazine, top five mission calls. And guess what's there? Scotland. Hey, look, Jason, it's there again, the top five mission calls. Call for a pastor to northern Scotland. <clears throat> oh, that's interesting. Next month, same thing. For five months, five or six months, the same thing happened over and over and over again. And I'm just... I guess I'm a little clueless. I'm like, oh, that's, that's just interesting, okay? Now, I didn't know this, but my wife during that time got out her prayer journal, and she wrote in her prayer journal, Lord, either give me peace about Scotland or put the burden on Jason's heart. Now, those of you that aren't married, which is probably the majority here, take a note out of that, okay? It's much more effective to move your spouse through prayer than by nagging. Somebody ought to say amen to that. And so she begins to pray this prayer that the Lord would lay the burden on my heart or just give her peace about the whole situation. And so the Lord starts working on my heart. I didn't know that she had prayed this prayer request. In fact, I didn't find out until quite a bit afterwards when we signed up, signed up with AFM that she had been praying this prayer. And so one morning, December, a year ago, uh, she had been praying this prayer for about five months. I was having my morning devotions and I was reading through the Bible reading through the Gospels. I'd just gotten a new Bible, and I was underlining and highlighting things that, uh, that, that were speaking to me in my devotional time. And I read this Bible passage that we're all very familiar with in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I have it right there. It's underlined. I underlined it that day. And so I'm reading, I'm just reading through the Gospels. I just picked up where I left off the day before, and I'm reading through the Gospels, and I'm praying, and I'm asking the Lord, you know, speak to me in the, through your word this morning. And as I'm praying through Luke chapter 11, this passage just jumps out at me. 
And I don't have this experience very often, but it was very clear that God was distinctively telling me, Jason, now is the time to start knocking on the doors of missions. I said, well, that's kind of interesting. I, I really, I, it was just kind of out of the blue. And so I said, you know, not wanting to resist the leading of God in my life, I finished my devotions and I shared with Midori, my wife, what I had gleaned from my morning devotional time, that it was time for us to start knocking on the doors. And she said, okay, let's start doing this. So we had breakfast. Shortly after that, I went downstairs and I typed an email to Adventist Frontier Missions about this top five mission call for a pastor to Scotland. Would you please send me some more information? And then I began to do some research online, and this is what I found out. Did you know that the only other place in the world that has a worse Adventist to population ratio than Scotland is the Middle East? It's a desert of Adventism there in Scotland. Now, you read the Reformation, there's a lot of good stuff that happened over there. But now, north of Glasgow, there's no Seventh-day Adventist. Most of the Adventist population are either Filipino or from the Caribbean islands. There are very few indigenous Scottish Seventh-day Adventists. That appeals to the heart of an evangelist. And so I fired this email off, you know, tell me more information about this project in northern Scotland. And I wait. And I get an email back from John Baxter, who's the, uh, the, the he recruits, uh, uh, recruits, thank you, recruits people for missions. And he says, you know, we should talk more about this. Right now, there's a lot of problems with trying to get long-term work permits in northern Scotland. So this may not be the best option, but maybe we won't be able to find something else out. And when I read that email, I was like, the Lord is already working. <laughs> because I have British citizenship. My stepfather's British, and I got it when we moved over there. And I said, look at this. The Lord's already parting the Red Sea. And so I emailed him back, and I said, oh, well, I, I guess I should have mentioned in my previous email that I already had British citizenship. My kids get it because I have it, and my wife can get it as well. So this shouldn't be a problem at all. Look, done and dusted. He said, he writes me back, and he says, this is an act of God. You need to come down to my office so we can talk. So I'm only two hours away. We work out of time, and I drive down just before GYC last year. I drive down to his office. And, and as I walk into the front office there to meet with, with John and, and uh, some of the others, um, he's, he's standing in the hallway and he's talking to the president and the international field director. The three of them are kind of having a little powwow together when we arrived. He introduces me to them. This is Jason. He's a pastor in Michigan. He used to work for Amazing Facts, blah, blah, blah. He's here to talk about missions. And then he says, hey, go down to my office. I'll be down there in a few minutes. We just got to finish up our, our conversation over here. I said, okay. So we go down to his office. We wait. And while the three of them were meeting, the president, Conrad Vine, he says to John Baxter, he says, you know what, Jason might be, with his background, he might be a good fit for the Gogodala project in PNG, Papua New Guinea. What was I going there to talk about? Yeah, you're listening. Very good. Okay. So I'm there to talk about Scotland. Somebody said it with a Scottish accent. They're great. Um, and and, he, and so, so Conrad says, maybe PNG might be a good fit for him. Oh, no. Thank you very much. We've got somebody back there. Um, <laughs> And so a few minutes later, um, he comes in, John Baxter comes in, and we begin to talk, and we're talking about missions, and we're having a great time talking about, you know, what's going on in the international field as far as missions go. And then we start talking about Scotland and the project over there and how it all came to be, and I'm, I'm just into the conversation with all this research that I've been doing. <clears throat> and then he says, you know what? Have you ever thought about Papua New Guinea? I said, Papua New what? 
I'm here to talk about Scotland, man. I mean, I, there is a desert of Adventism there. We need to go to Scotland, John Knox, and all that kind of stuff. And he says, have you ever thought about Papua New Guinea? I'm like, Papua, what? I mean, where did this come from? This was not even on my radar. And so he begins to tell us about the project over there. They're building a training center, and they, they want to, you know, kind of an AFCO, Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism, or a RISE, that kind of thing out in the middle of the jungle. And they're looking for somebody to help run the training center over there. And as he's telling us all about this, my wife's eyes get really big. <laughs> and she's thinking, this is great. And she's like, I want to do this. And I'm over here thinking, Scotland. And she's over here thinking, Papua New Guinea, this is going to be in the country. It'll be out in the jungle. We can raise our kids in the country. And, this is, and she's like, she's really into it. And I'm over here and I'm thinking, Scotland, you know, and we're not on the same page. And, and so I'm giving him all the pet answers like, yeah, okay, we'll pray about it and you know, all that kind of stuff. So when we leave his office, we go home, we have, we've talked about three different projects, three different places in the world. And so we go home and we begin to pray and we begin to pray and we're talking to our kids about missions and being a little bit more intentional in those conversations and we're showing them different places in the world. You know, this is the 1040 window and this is Papua New Guinea and that's Scotland and this is, you know, Nepal and, you know, just telling them more about the world, opening up their minds a little bit more. And I'm praying, and Midori's praying, we're praying together at night, Lord, where do you want us to go to serve you? But inside of my heart, what am I saying? Amen. You know, oftentimes we say, Lord, we pray a prayer, and we're really what we're doing is we're asking God to rubber stamp it. <laughs> we could care less about what his will is. We tag it on on the end there, Lord, may your will be done, but usually it's just kind of a, something to fill the air, but it's not really something that we want to do. Because many times God's will for us is in opposition to what we want for us. Because God's interested in finishing the work to get us to heaven, our carnal nature is interested in having a comfortable life here on this earth. And the two of them are in opposition with each other. And so I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? And inside my heart, I'm, I'm praying for Scotland, this thing to work out. But I'm not... I'm not getting the vibe from AFM that Scotland's the place to go. And I kind of, you know, getting a little frustrated. Anyways, we pray for three months, and I get no answer. Have you ever had that happen before? Yeah. feel like you're praying, and your, your prayer, prayers just hit the ceiling and come back down on top of you? Mm -hmm. Three months we pray. Nothing. Crickets from heaven. Nothing. <laughs> and I'm a pastor. Aren't pastors supposed to have a special connection with God? You know, they answered prayers and all that kind of stuff. You know, here's, here's a family who wants to go and serve in the mission field, and I'm not getting anything from God. But what was happening during that time is the Lord was working on my heart. And more important than telling me where to serve, God says, Jason, I want to refine your heart and make you more submissive to my will. And so in the middle of those three months when we're praying and asking for the Lord's leading, John comes to our house again, and we have an in-home you know, visit with each other, and we're talking about missions and what have you, and we're sitting in our living room. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was an amazing experience. We're sitting in our living room, and we're talking, and my son comes barreling out of his bedroom. He's a six-year-old full of energy. He jumps up on our couch, and he, we had this big map hanging on our wall over our couch, and he points to Papua New Guinea, and he says to John, that's Papua New Guinea. We're going to be missionaries there. Wow. John says, that's interesting. I think I should talk to your parents about this. 
I'm like, where did he get that from? I mean, of course, we've been talking about this kind of stuff, but you're out of the mouth of babes, right? You know, you learn a lot from your children when you become a parent. So we're talking with John during this visit, and, and we talk a lot about the Papua New Guinea project. We talked a lot about different projects, but we talked about that one, and he said, listen, I'm going to go back and I'm going to email Steve and Lori Erickson. They're the missionaries who are working over there and building the training center, and I'm going to find out what's going on a little bit more, just get some more information, and then I'll email you and let you know what I find out. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much. A month goes by, and I don't hear anything from John. And of course, I'm thinking in my carnal nature, well, maybe the Lord's going to work it out for us to go to. And so a month goes by, I emailed John, nothing. He said, I haven't heard anything. They're busy. They're working hard. I just, I haven't heard anything back from them. Okay. So then John emails me and he says, listen, we want to invite you to come down to the AFM office for a week of missionary orientation. That's when they accept you as a missionary and you accept the call to be a missionary. Okay. So he said, we want to invite you down to go through a week of orientation so we can talk a little bit more about this. So we go down to the AFM office for this week of orientation. On Monday, we're sitting in class and we're told this. Tomorrow, on Tuesday, <clears throat> we are going to extend the invitation to you to be a missionary. And at that point, we want you to choose where you are going to serve. Less than 24 hours later, and all I'm getting from heaven is nothing. You know, nothing like being put in the pressure, you know. So I'm like, okay, you know, this is great. So we, we go home Monday night, and we pray, and we pray. We put our kids to bed, and my wife and I, I mean, we've been praying for three months, but we're praying more together. And we're, we're kneeling there, and we're just pouring our, heart, our hearts out to God. And as I'm, as I'm kneeling there praying, I all of a sudden notice something, that I had come to a point in my life where all I wanted was God's will. And, and, and that prayer was different that night. It was a prayer of desperation. You know, I didn't want to take a dart and th you know, throw it on a dartboard and say, you know, that's where I'm going to go. You know, I'm just kind of throw it on the map and say, that's where I'm going to go. I wanted God's will because I knew when I get to the mission field, it's going to be tough. I want to know that God led me here. Right? And so as I'm kneeling there praying, I'm noticing my heart has changed, and it's a prayer of desperation that, that I would just know what God's will is for our life, where he wants us to go and serve him. And so we're praying together, and, and my wife, she says this. She's a, she's a woman of wisdom. She said, listen, I don't want to be praying all night long. We've got, we got lots of things to be doing tomorrow. Now, there are time for all night prayer vigils, but we're going to be sitting in class all day tomorrow. And she said, I want to pray like Daniel and his three friends did in Daniel chapter 2. When they knew that they had to come up with some information, otherwise they were going to have their heads cut off, they went home, they prayed, and then Daniel had the thing revealed to him in a night vision when he was sleeping. I said, sounds good to me. <laughs> so we prayed. We had our prayer session together, and then we went to bed. And about 5 o'clock in the morning, I woke up after having a dream. And in this dream... We had landed in Port Moresby, the capital of Papua New Guinea. We were walking through the airport, and as we, as we got to the place where you get your baggage and you meet the people who are picking you up, Steve and Lori Erickson were there to welcome us to Papua New Guinea. And I remember seeing this in my dream, that Lori came and she gave my wife a big bear hug. Have you ever seen that, you know, like kind of rocking back and forth, you know, one of those kind of bear hugs, like, so happy to see you here kind of thing. And then I woke up. Now, I don't know about you, but I have wacko dreams. 
I mean, just the other day, I woke up and I told my wife, I had a dream that I had long hair. <laughs> you know, and I, and I was at a hairstylist, and he was styling my hair, you know I mean? That's what bald guys dream about. <laughs> and, you know, I have wacko dreams at night. And so, you know, I didn't want to put, I mean, we wake up and we laugh about the things I dream about. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to trivialize this thing. So I just internalized it and I kept it to myself. Uh, and, and, and I forgot to mention this. The night before when, when my wife and I were praying, I prayed a secret prayer in my heart. <clears throat> and, and the prayer was this. I've been struggling with praying with this prayer request, but I went ahead and prayed it that night. And I said, Lord, if it's your will for us, if you want us to go to Papua New Guinea, that's fine. But have Steve and Lori Erickson get in touch with John because they still hadn't gotten in touch with him at that point. Have them get in touch with him, and that will be an indicator that you're leading in that direction. So I prayed that prayer the night before. Then I had the dream, and we woke up the next morning. Tuesday morning, we go to the office for our classes that day. And uh, around 10 o'clock-ish, we meet together with the officers to discuss placement. There's about five or six of them that we meet together and we talk about the different places in the world. So we walk into this, this room where you know, there's a table and they have this whiteboard and they have 14 places in the world that they think we could possibly go and serve as missionaries. I'm thinking to myself, I didn't want 14, I just wanted one. And they have this graph, you know, it's expensive here, it's cheap here, you gotta learn two languages there, one language there. It's an easy language, it's a hard language, it's a tonal language, I mean, they, they had this whole chart of information, and I'm just overwhelmed with what I'm seeing there on the board. <clears throat> but we begin to pray, and we, we, we talk through it, and we start erasing things on the board there that we just, you know, look, I'm 40 years old, I'm not gonna learn two tonal languages, okay? <laughs> so we're just erasing things that we just don't think are going to, to work. And so as we're talking, I asked John. I said, John, have you heard from Steve and Lori? He said, oh yeah, I got an email from them last night. <laughs> I said, well, that's interesting. And so we continued to talk, and we were erasing things. And by lunchtime, there were three places on the board. One was PNG, and two were in Africa. So we break for lunch. My wife and I are driving home, and I tell her, look, I prayed this prayer last night, and this is what John said. And I also had this dream. And she wasn't laughing about that dream. So we go home, and we have lunch, and we're praying together, and we're talking together over our lunch. And we feel like, you know, it's not a lightning bolt from heaven. It's not the voice of God speaking to us like he did when Jesus was baptized. But it seems like God is lining up some fence posts here for us. Okay? And so we decide to take the step of faith and move. You know, when you get two fence posts, you kind of know the direction that things are going. And so we go back to the office, and we say, we feel like the Lord is leading us in the direction of Papua New Guinea and this is the direction we want to go. They're like, great, let's start processing the paperwork. And now our prayer is not, Lord, show us where, but now our prayer is, Lord, confirm the call. I hope you're taking notes on these things, okay? Lord, confirm the call. And so the next thing I know is we're going to our next class, and we're sitting down, and our teacher who's teaching us, guess where she served as a missionary? How did you know that? <laughs> Papua New Guinea. We talked for half an hour about what it's like to serve in Papua New Guinea. I'm like, this is amazing. That night, Midori fires off an email to her family to tell them that we've accepted a call to go to Papua New Guinea as missionaries. Her uncle instantly writes her back, and he says, I always wanted to be a missionary to Papua New Guinea. I wish I would have done it when I was a young person. I'm so thankful that you are going now. He has since given us $10,000 towards our project. Now, I want to talk to you very seriously at this point. Okay. As I've crisscrossed the countryside in the last six months, talking about missions and all that kind of stuff, 
I have had multiple people come up to me in their, for you guys, older years and tell me, I wish I would have gone as a missionary when I was a young person. Multiple people. I mean, I'm just standing in the back and I'm shaking their hands and they say, I wish I would have gone as a missionary. I always had a burden for foreign missions, but this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened and I wasn't able to go. Listen, the devil wants to snuff out that desire to go and serve God, whether it be here or whether it be there. Be attentive to that because you don't want to get to the late years of your life, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and say, I wish I had done dot, dot, dot. So we're praying and we're saying, Lord, confirm the call. Confirm the call. We just want to know that we're in the center of your will. We don't want to be anywhere but in the center of your will. We go through the rest of the week of orientation. And on Thursday, something amazing happens. I find out on Thursday that Lori Erickson is coming from Papua New Guinea to the United States of America. Now, I knew she was coming because her daughter was getting married the next month. But I didn't know she was coming that week. And John had emailed her and said, look, the Sligers have accepted this call. They're going to be coming to work with you. She emailed, oh, we're so excited. We can't wait to meet you guys, blah, blah, blah. We're looking forward to it. And then I noticed on her Facebook, she's in the airport getting ready to come back to the States. Friday morning, I'm sitting in class. I'm going through my last few classes before I go back home. I get an email. Bing comes up from Lori Erickson. She says, I'm in Berrien Springs. Are you still here? Now, AFM is, the office there is, is in Berrien Springs. I said, yeah, I'm still here. I would love to meet you. Let's meet together. And so we email back and forth. And literally, our schedules overlap for 15 minutes. God brought, you guys don't find this very amazing, but I do. God brought her all the way from Papua New Guinea and me all the way from Muskegon, Michigan to Berrien Springs so that our schedules could overlap for 15 minutes. So we're standing in the office and we're waiting for her and, and her daughter to show up. And uh, we're talking to each other, Midori and I, and we were just kind of on our own, and we're waiting for them to show up. And Lori, she walks her, I see her walking across the front of the building there, and she comes in the front door, and I didn't plan this. God is my witness, I did not plan this. Midori goes out to go say hello to them. She opens up the door, and I'm walking behind her. She walks out to say hello to Lori. Lori sees her, and she throws her arms around her, and she gives her this big bear hug, and they're rocking back and forth, and Lori's just crying, and Midori is crying, and I'm standing there thinking, this is deja vu. <laughs> I've seen this somewhere. Now, I didn't plan this. I wasn't planning. Okay, now, Midori, you go first, and set, action, Go. It just happened. And, now, you know, we're seeing the Lord is confirming this call that he's wanting us, that we're going in the right direction. Well, as oftentimes happens, we are of little faith, aren't we? You know, we get these little evidences of God's leading in our lives, and then we get to a point and we start doubting, right? And we're like, oh, maybe is God really doing this? Oh, Lord, can you give me another sign? Can you give me another sign? And we become sign junkies, <laughs> right, you know? We want to go from one miraculous miracle to another, you know, to kind of keep the spiritual high. And so on Tuesday the next week, so Friday we meet Lori. Tuesday the next week, I'm having my devotions. And I'm reading through my same Bible. It's this one right here, reading through my Bible. And as I'm reading through it, I'm praying, and I'm just I'm thinking about this, this call that we've just accepted and, you know, how it's going to transform our lives. You know, when you become a missionary, you have to get rid of everything you own. 
You can't take it with you. You know, most missionaries, when they go overseas, all they take are bags with them, with clothes and stuff like that. And they, you know, they settle in over there, right? I have a house, a 21-square-foot house and a garage and an outhouse on top of that with a lawnmower and a snowblower and all of these types of things. And I'm thinking, Lord, what have I done? I've got two cars and three kids and all of these toys that go along with it. And I don't know how this is going to happen. Plus, there's all of this money that needs to be raised before I can go. Papua New Guinea is the second most expensive place that AFM sends missionaries. Lots of money. Lord, how is this going to happen? And I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord. And as I'm talking to him about the finances, it just flashes in my mind, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs. You've, You've heard that one before. So I open up my Bible, and I go to that Bible passage, and I underlined it in blue. That's what I underline all Bible promises in. I underlined it in blue. And like the great George Mueller's of old, I put my finger on that promise and said, okay, God, you said you would provide all of our needs. I'm going to leave it in your lap, and I'm going to stop worrying about it. Four hours later. How many hours later? Four. I'm walking to the end of my driveway with my trash can, taking my trash out for the, for the trash man to come pick it up. And this is my routine. I take the trash can out. I go over to my mailbox. I open my mailbox, get my mail out, take my junk mail, put it in the trash can, and take the other stuff back to the house. So I go over to the mailbox, and I open it up, and there's one envelope in there. There's never one envelope in my mailbox. When you get older, you'll realize that. (laughs) I open it up. There's one envelope in there. I pull that one envelope out, and it says 3ABN, the first thing that comes into my mind, promotional material. But I noticed our address was handwritten, and it was addressed to Midori Sliger. I said, well, (laughs) I better not throw my wife's mail away. (laughs) So I stand there at the end of the driveway, and I open up this letter. You know, we have an open relationship. We open each other's mail, you know, that kind of stuff. So we open up, and I open up this letter. Her grandmother had just died about a month and a half, two months prior to this at the age of 103. (laughs) Praise the Lord for the Adventist Health message. Amen? 103 years old, and then she, she went to sleep in Jesus. And, and I'm opening up this envelope, and I'm reading it, and it says, Your grandmother had a trust with 3ABN. We are settling this trust, and you will be getting a check in the amount of $7,500. What happened four hours before? What happened four hours before? My God shall supply all your needs. Four hours later, I've got 7,500 bucks in my hand. Somebody ought to say amen to that. You guys just don't seem to be too impressed with this. God is real. He can do miraculous things. The Bible's not joking when when it says he can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. I didn't know that was happening. I mean, we were sad to see her grandmother go, but now I'm standing at the end of my driveway after claiming this promise. Four hours later, I've got 7,500 bucks in my hand. I go back to my house. I take that envelope. I put it back. I take the letter, put it back in the envelope, open it up to Philippians chapter four, stick it in my Bible. I walk over to my wife. I said, read what's highlighted and then read the letter. And then I told her all about what had happened that morning in my devotional time. I said, sweetheart, we're going in the right direction. She said, I wasn't doubting that. (laughs) Thank the Lord for good wives. So that's the first miracle. 
My God shall supply all your needs. So then we begin to pray and we say, okay, Lord, you're confirming this call. We're trusting you, but we want to get there as soon as possible. We don't want to wait two years before we get there. We want to be there as soon as possible. And then we realize that fundraising is not compatible with pastoring. You fundraise on the weekend when you go to churches to talk about missions, and you also pastor on the weekend. They're not compatible. And so we begin to talk about this incompatibility and that if we continue pastoring and fundraising at the same time, it could be a good two years before we get over there. And so through prayer together, we decide to make the decision to quit our employment in June and go into full-time fundraising. Now, it's hard for you to understand this from your perspective right now, but when you get a little older, you might appreciate this. When you are a family and you have three kids, you have dependents who are counting upon you to supply their needs, and you pull that plug, it's, it's, it's a little disconcerting. But we made that, we, we, we could see God's clear leading us in this direction. So we said, okay, Lord, we're going to go ahead and cut our employment in June, and we're going to step out on faith and do full-time fundraising. And so we begin to pray. We had three assets <clears throat> that had some value to them that we wanted to sell to get money to survive on. We had our Prius car. We didn't need two. We only need one. Um, we had our house, and we had an old vintage Airstream travel trailer that we used for camp meeting. And so we begin to pray, and we say, Lord, we have these three items. We're asking you to sell them for us so that we can have money to survive on. And we just begin to pray, and we're just leaving it in the Lord's hands and say, okay, Lord, this is, this is up to you now. And so one Sabbath, I'd already told my congregation that we were getting ready to leave. We only had a couple of weeks left before we finished there. I'm standing in the gymnasium talking to one of my church members after potluck. She's standing in the kitchen. I'm standing in the gym. We're talking through a window at each other, okay? And she says, you know, pastor, the last pastor, when he left, he had a bunch of stuff that he didn't need, and so he came and sold it to the church members, and then they used the money for a good cause. Maybe you should do that. I'm sure you got lots of things you need to sell, and you can use it for fundraising. I said, you know, that's a great idea. We should do that. We've got tons of things we need to get rid of. We can't take it with us like our Prius and all kinds of other things. And as soon as I said the word Prius, there was a church member standing right next to her who said, I'll buy your Prius. <laughs> I said, you'll buy my Prius? She said, yeah, I'll buy your Prius. So I walk around into the kitchen, and I'm standing in front of her, and I said, you want to buy my Prius? She said, yeah, I've been praying about buying your Prius. <laughs> I said, you've been praying about buying my Prius? That's funny because I've been praying about selling my Prius. She said, I felt kind of odd, you know, going to the pastor and saying, Pastor, can I buy your car? You know, it just seems a little weird. So she said, I prayed and I said, Lord, if, if you want me to have the pastor's car, work out the opportunity so that I can buy it. And here it is. So I sold my Prius on the Sabbath. God sold it on the Sabbath. We exchanged the money after Sabbath. <laughs> so the Prius is gone, and my faith is getting stronger, and we, we're, we're continuing to pray, and we're saying, Lord, you know, we got these two other things, and we go to camp meeting, and we have a great time at Michigan Conference camp meeting, and then we come back home, and 
Two weeks later, we're no longer employed. And now we're like, okay, Lord, help us out here now. And then a couple of weeks after that, we put our Airstream on Facebook Marketplace. And we get request after request after request. And then there's this family with, I think they had 10 kids or something like that. I'm like, I don't know how you're going to get 10 kids in there. But hey, you know. <laughs> so they said, we're interested. And we, we, you know, we want to come take a look at it. And they come take a look at it. And then they go away. And they come back and take a look at it. And they say, here's the cash. Boom. They, it's gone. We sold it for what we bought it for. I'm like, all right, Lord, now we've got this 2,100 square foot house. The Lord said, you got to get all this stuff out first. And so we start inviting people over. Take this, take that, take this, take this, take this. We're just giving stuff away. The freely you ever received, freely give. We're just giving it away because we don't want to sell it. It takes too long to sell it. Just take it all. You know, we, we're giving stuff away, giving books away, giving bookshelves away, giving beds away, giving couches away. We're just giving stuff away. We're getting it out of the house as quickly as we can so that we can get it on the market. Just in case you're wondering, if you don't have a paycheck, it's hard to make a house payment. So we get all our stuff out of the house. We put the house on the market. We, uh, we, 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 we go off on the road and we start doing traveling around, telling people about missions and fundraising and all that kind of stuff. One week ago, we signed the paperwork and we sold the house for more than we thought it was going to sell for. Amen? Amen? But I always save the best for last. Let's see how much time I got here. Uh-huh. Very good. Okay. So in the middle of clearing our house out, I was feeling very discouraged seeing all of our things leave. We've been married for 13 years. We've been accumulating a lot of things. And now our house is empty. Our, our living room, our couch that we bought the day after we got married, it's no longer there. You know, God wants to cut these cords. We bought that with our wedding money. We got married, and then the next day we went to the store, and we're like, there it is. That's the couch we sat on when we were dating, and now it's on sale. We can buy it. We raised our kids with that couch, and it's gone. Our kitchen table is gone. Our, living, our house is just becoming empty, and our kids are going nuts. <laughs> and I'm sitting in my kitchen at a folding cardboard or folding card table with fold-out chairs. And my wife and I are talking about what, are, I mean, how are we going to do this? The time is just so tight. We've got so many things to get rid of and we've got appointments we got to go to. And our kids are losing their minds. And as we're sitting there talking, my phone rings. And it's from Jim Mitchiff, the conference president there in Michigan. Now, this is not the time that you want to answer the phone from the conference president when your house is going nuts. So I pick up my phone and I go out on the side deck <clears throat> where there's some quietness and I slide it over and I answer the phone and I say, hello, you know, how are you doing? He's like, hey, Jason, how are you going? Oh, everything's going great, <laughs> right? You know? And he said, hey, you know, I've got the conference treasurer here. We want to talk to you about something. I said, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> he said, it's come to our attention that we have not paid you the amount that you, are, oh, that you are due for the past three years. We haven't been paying you what, what we owe you. And um, we want to make that right. And I'm just listening. And he said, so we're going to be sending you a check for $18,000.
I'm like, do you have any, do you have any idea how much $18,000 is going to help somebody who's not employed? <laughs> so what had happened was when I moved from one district to the next, they didn't adjust the cost of living. No, God kept them from adjusting the cost of living. And three years ago, God had this little savings account that was being added to every single month. Now listen, there was no negligence on anybody's part. God just simply blinded somebody's eye. I firmly believe that. And then we get a new conference treasure. The old one retires. The new one comes in. And this guy's going through the books. And then all of a sudden, the scales fall off his eyes. And he realizes that there's some money that needs to go to Jason and Midori Sliger. And so they call us up and they say, we're going to be sending you a check for $18,000. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And it's just been one miracle after another, after another. We, when we were moving, we rented our moving van. And then we had to extend it an extra day. And I didn't have the 100 bucks to extend it the extra day. Church member comes over to help us clean our house. When she leaves, she puts 100 bucks in my hand. Just one experience after another, after another, like that, that has been happening. And I can't believe it. I'm thinking to myself, why haven't I been experiencing this type of stuff before? And all of a sudden, I realized that for my 18 years of ministry, I have been depending upon Jason, the system, other people, family, whatever it is, instead of depending upon God. But when I cut the strings of human support and said, okay, God, I'm nestled in your arms now. You take care of me. I said, okay, I got it all under control. I remember I preached a sermon. A church member reminded me of this because I had forgotten about it. But I preached a sermon one Sabbath morning, and it was totally off the cuff, that this statement. It wasn't in my notes. I hadn't thought about it. It just totally off the cuff. And I, in the closing part of my sermon, I was telling the, the congregation a story about George Mueller. You heard George Mueller, right? 50,000 prayers that were answered in his life. 30,000 of them were answered in the same hour or the same day. Look it up. So I'm telling my congregation about George Mueller and and, and, and I had been telling them lots of stories about missionaries. I'd been reading a lot of books at that point, and I'd been telling them all of these stories and miraculous things that had been happening. And, and as I was standing there in front of my congregation, I told them, I'm sick and tired of reading these stories. I want to experience it myself. You know, it's, it's faith-building to read about other people's experiences. It's faith-building for you to hear about our experience. It's nice to read incredible answers to prayer and all of these missionary stories and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But let me tell you something. If you want to kick it up a notch, ask God to give you the same experience. And all of a sudden, it becomes real. It's not their God. He is your God. He's not just supplying their needs, but he's supplying your needs as well. And I told my congregation, I'm sick and tired of this. I want this experience for myself. And my church member came up to me and she said, well, pastor, I guess you're getting that experience for yourself. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. Standing where I'm at right now, looking back, if I had to do it over again, I would do it the same way. It wasn't comfortable. It was, there were a lot of hard times, but I would not give up that experience for anything. It deepened my relationship with God like nothing I've ever experienced before. Just cutting those strings and saying, okay, God, I'm completely in your hands. I read a passage that I want to share with you in closing. In uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, you should be familiar with this. Uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. 
John chapter 4 and verse 34. She had come, talked with Jesus. Now she's left at this point to go back and tell everybody else about this miraculous man that she had just met. Now, as you know, Jesus uh, showed up at the well because he was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry, right? Disciples go off to go get some food for him while he's talking to the woman at the well. And then the, the, the disciples come back and, you know, they, they have him food, have food for him, and they urge him to eat, the Bible tells us. And then the Bible says this in verse 30, 34. It says, Jesus said unto them, my food or my meat is to do the to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish what? His work. Jesus said, the will of God is so important in my life that it's more important than eating. I love to eat. I'm a foodie. I like good restaurants. I like good food. Jim will tell you all about that. We go to, the, we go to uh, Malaysia and we eat durian every day together. We have a good time. We like food. Jesus says, listen, more important than food is to do the will of God and to accomplish his work. But the question I want to ask you is, can the same be said for you? Can the same be said for me? That more important than food is to do the will of God. More important than food is to accomplish his work. We all intellectually know that there is a heaven that God has for us. We've seen it described in the word of God. But the question is, are we living as though that's the direction that we're going? You know the old song, this world is not my home, I'm just a... Are we really just passing through or are we building up our little kingdoms here on this earth to make our lives more comfortable? If we're really in the business of getting to the kingdom of heaven as soon as possible... You know, we always talk about, let's not have another GYC. As long as there's 3 billion people in the world who haven't heard the gospel, we will continue having GYCs. There have been appeals that have been made here at GYC to give a tithe of your life to foreign missions. Hundreds of young people come forward. Very few of them follow through. And there's a variety of reasons. I remember one day I was standing in a church. I just talked about missions. And a father came up to me and she, he said, my daughter in college, she wanted to be an SM. And I did everything I could to convince her not to go to finish her education. But she went anyways. And it changed her life. And he said, I'm so thankful that she went for that one year as a student missionary. When the end of that year came, she told her parents, I'm buying a round-trip ticket. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm coming home, but I'm going back again. Her dad's like, are you sure you want to do that? You might want to come and just kind of check things out, and, you know, make sure it's really what... I'm buying a round-trip ticket. Listen, God needs young people who are on fire for the word of God not to come to another GYC. Not to go from one spiritual high to another. And I'm thankful for GYC. It's been a blessing to me, and I know it's a blessing to you as well. But God is looking for young people who are willing to finish the work. Who are willing to make the necessary sacrifices and to cut those strings that are holding us back. And to go to the distant lands, to go to the local lands, and to spread the gospel to hasten the coming of Jesus Christ. Heaven is much better than you could ever imagine. And God wants to get you there 
ASAP. And so as I close, I want you to think about what God's will is for you. God's will is for the world to be saved and to get you to the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And if your plans for your life do not center upon this, you might want to reprioritize the direction that you're going in your life. If your priority is to get rich, to have a prestigious job, to satisfy your parents' desires, because unfortunately, sometimes our parents don't have sanctified desires for us. Many of them do, and we thank God for godly parents. But you are at an age now where you can follow God yourself. And if God is leading you in one direction, you need to go in that direction. You need to follow the leading of God. If your life is not centering upon these things that is God's will, the salvation of the world and getting you to the kingdom of heaven, you need to reorganize and reprioritize your life so that you can center your life on God's will. And I want to tell you something. As God is my witness, there is nothing like being in the center of God's will. It's so peaceful there. It can be all chaotic around you. All your life can be falling apart, but you're there in the center of God's will, and it's just peace. You may not have much, but who cares? It's all going to burn one day anyways. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Amen. That iPhone that you want, that Apple watch you want, that big house you want, all that stuff is all going to burn one day. The only thing you're going to take with you is your character and the people that God has used you to save into his kingdom. That's all you're going to take with you to the kingdom of heaven. So put your investment where it needs to be. Maybe God wants you to get wealthy. Maybe God wants you to get rich so that you can fund missions. We don't get rich just for the sake of getting rich. That's not our business as God's people. You may, God may lead you to have a high-paying job so that you can support people who are doing work in distant lands. Ellen White talks about that. There's important work there. But too often we get distracted and we say, well, wait, make a lot of money so that I can have a wonderful, comfortable life here on this earth. No, 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 no. A couple of months ago, I was out in Washington State, and I met a man. I'm closing now. And he heard about our call into the mission field. He invited us over for lunch. And this is man, he, he has 100 acres of land. He has a massive house. It's off the grid. It's a beautiful place out in the middle of the mountains. He says, God's laid it on my heart to give you $50,000 for your project. And I'll be taking it out of my retirement. On top of that, he said, I'm going to give you 200 bucks a month towards your monthly goal as well. There are people who want to support the work. And maybe God might use you to be one of those kind of people. But let's get this work done so that we can go home and see Jesus. Amen? Let's not be here any longer than is necessary. God has a wonderful place prepared for us, and I want to get there as soon as we can. Well, let's have a closing prayer. I want to invite you to kneel with me if you can as we seek the Lord's will for our lives. Father in heaven, 
thank you, Lord, for these precious people who are here in this room today. Thank you, Father, that they carved out some time in their day to come and listen to your working in our lives. And Father, I pray that same experience be given to them. That as they seek you morning by morning in their devotional time, that they would hear the voice of God speaking to them clearly, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That, Father, in this room, there would be raised up future missionaries, future pastors, future administrators, future donors who would support the cause of God to hasten and speed the coming of our Lord and Savior. Father, may we not get weighed down with the things of this world, but may we keep our eyes singly focused upon the goal of accomplishing the will of our Father and his work. Lord, we thank you that you are God who meddles in the affairs of men, who reaches down into our little lives and orchestrates things that just make us stand back in awe of your capabilities. And Father, I pray that we would grow to have an experience where we just lean heavily upon the arm of our Father in heaven who has everything and will supply all of our needs. May you bless us, Lord. May you take us to the far reaches of this world and may you use us, I pray, to hasten the coming of Jesus. Thank you for blessing us today for we ask it in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.